Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. So, a couple times a year, Bonnie and I, uh, most, most of you know Bonnie and I have three children. Uh, our oldest son lives in Minneapolis. Our middle son lives here in Grand Forks, and he's provided us with several grandchildren, which is like a beautiful thing. It reminds me why we still allow him, my middle son, to live. Uh, and and my my daughter who lives in Bozeman, Montana. Every every about twice a year we try to bring all of them together somehow, uh, and we have a, a family gathering, and uh, we laugh and we goof around. We play games. Uh, one of my son's girlfriends, not one of his girlfriends, his girlfriend. <laughs> One of my sons who has a girlfriend, the other, oh my goodness, this girl that comes with one of my boys uh, usually provides games, like games to play, and, and we laugh, and we goof around, and they tell stories. i tell you what, as a dad, that's one of the best times of my year, just sitting and watching my kids get along and play and enjoy that. Sometimes I get inside my head and I'll slip off to the side of the room and just watch. And uh, it honestly gives me deep pleasure to be their dad in those moments, to watch them do family. Uh, we invite a couple of Bonnie's nieces along. They're like add-ons. And uh, just the joy of that is a blast. My father died in 2016, and uh, a couple weeks after his funeral, my mom and I and Bonnie, and I, I can't remember if my other brothers were there or not, to be honest, but we went to the bank uh, to open up a safe deposit box. Safe deposit box, for those of you who don't know, the bank has a room with boxes in it, steel boxes, and you have a key, and they have a key, and they go in, just like in James Bond, right? And they go in, and they turn the keys, and you pull out the box, and it's filled with diamonds. <laughs> my, my dad's was paperwork. And uh, in my dad fashion, he had an, all these papers shoved in a big manila envelope and a rip, big rubber band or two around them, which my dad put rubber bands on everything. It was, it, was, uh, it was a thing. We set it down on a table, and I noticed some handwriting on the outside of the envelope. It said, I just want you all to get along. My dad wrote on the outside of his envelope, I just want you all to get along. I, I, I wonder when he wrote that. I wonder, did he go up like a week before he passed away and write it? I, I wonder if it was years before. I, I, I don't know. At, at the time of his death, uh, a couple of his sons, me included, there was one of us who hadn't talked to us for quite a long time. There was discord. I wonder if my dad was thinking about that. The contrast of so much joy and pleasure when your kids get along and so much hurt and pain when you watch them in discord. And I think about our Heavenly Father. 
over and over and over and over in the Bible, he basically says, love one another. Like, like there's, there, there's like 59 or 60 or somewhere around there, times he uses the phrase, one another, in the New Testament. Like, he has this command for us to love one another, to, to forgive one another. When your one another is broken, mend it. When your one another is wounded, heal it. When your one another is fractured by unforgiveness, do whatever it takes to put your one another back together again. To have a beautiful return to one anotherness. If you're following along in your sermon notes, there's a little box there. The box will say, who is it? Whose name should go in here? And I want to invite us to think about this, because here's one of my goals this morning. In Galatians chapter six, one, or chapter six, verse one, it says, "Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently." The word "restore" is a Greek word that kartitizo, kartitizo. It means to mend. It means to heal. It means to, when something's broken, to bring it back together so that it can heal. Here's my my goal this morning for those of us who are living in unforgiveness. I want to give us a path to bringing those pieces back together so that the Father can look with pleasure on us again. So that he can stand back, our Heavenly Father, and say, those are my kids. Listen to them laugh. Listen listen to them sing. Listen to them dance with freedom and joy and celebration. Because the opposite of that when there's brokenness, brings pain to the Father's heart. And so again, some of us, when you write that name down, and I encourage you actually to write it down. It might be a spouse. It might be an ex-spouse. It might be a son or a daughter, an aunt or an uncle. It might be a school teacher. It might be a neighbor. It might be a distant relative. It might be an employer. Whose name would go in the box that says, I am holding unforgiveness against this person? It might be a father-in-law. It might be a mother-in-law. It might be a pastor. Whose name comes to your mind? Where you would have to admit before God that there's a broken one-anotherness between us. This is a family matter for those of us who belong to the family of Christ. For those of you who don't, this is like a heads up. Right? If, if you join the family, God's family, if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not just a suggestion. This isn't a, oh, if you're a really good follower. This is like for every follower of Jesus Christ. To forgive 
as the Lord has forgiven you. So let's jump in into the Bible. And let me let me tell you how we're going to do this. I, I'm going to read for a little bit, like I, I do so often. I'm going to read for a little bit, and then I'm going to stop and explain it. I, I, I wanted to have a stand in honor of God's word this morning, like we did last week, but uh, I'm going to interrupt too many times, and so it would be, and you'd feel like you belong to a different church. So I'm not going to have us do that. But uh, I'm in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 15. And I'm not going to cover everything. I want to cover the main topic of forgiveness. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. (laughs) Okay. Like some of us love that too much. Seriously, some of us like our sin police, right? We get, okay, let me, let me finish the sentence so that we get context. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If your brother or sister sins against you, if someone actually does something that is sin to you, Huge or small. If it's something you're going to hold against them, if it's something that, that's a fault, if it's something that causes pain, a woundedness, it, it, and, 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 and many of us, we have that thing. And some of us are, are thinking, but pastor, you don't understand this that has happened to me. And I get it. Like some of us have such painful things that have happened to us that we can hardly speak words when that comes to our mind. I, I just want to say that, that we're going to go someplace very clear. And I want to do this gently. But if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Don't call the other people in your prayer group. Don't call your life group. Don't call your mom and dad. Don't go telling everybody. Don't get a bunch of people on your side. If your brother or sister sins against you, Go and point out their fault just between you. So that, so that, so that if they listen to you, you win them over. Do you hear the goal? The goal isn't you dirty, stinking, rotten sinner. The goal is that you'd walk out with a beautiful return to relationship. You point out the sin so that there can be this beautiful return to relationship. We point it out not so that they can clean up their lives as much as so that we can clean up our relationship. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Not to prove that even these people disagree with you. Not even to prove that these people think it was sin. No, so that it can be established that two or three witnesses that you guys need to put together your relationship again. And that forgiveness is being offered. That grace is being offered. That mercy is being offered. 
If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, God's people who have a heart of restoration, then treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. I've been wondering, what does it mean to treat someone like a pagan or a tax collector? Certainly it probably means put them out of the church. Unless, of course, maybe a piece of this is we treat them the way Jesus taught pagans and tax collectors. I think the easy thing to look at that and say, oh, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector, that means kick them out, never speak to them again, shun them, do that thing that a lot of churches do, right? But maybe, I'm just throwing this out there. Maybe the way Jesus taught, treated pagans and tax collectors, he was willing to die for them. So that they could be brought back together. He served them. You've got to be kidding me. You want me to serve even though that person won't even admit that they've done it wrong? You've got to be bonkers. Do you know what? Do you know what I've been caring for? Do you know how bad this. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them with them. That, that, that when two or three gather with a hope and a prayer of winning them back, And Peter's sitting with the brothers and he's listening to this. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, he wants us to forgive. And so he does what, what, what we do. He goes, well, how many times? Like, do you know this person has done this more than once? You know this person did the same thing to my children. How many times should I forgive? The, the rabbinic law in those days, the mission of the teachings of the r- r- Jews, right? their book said you forgive three times and then seek revenge. So G- Peter, knowing Jesus, says, oh man, Peter thinks to himself, okay, Jesus always does bigger, always does better, always does more. Okay, I- I'll go. H- how about if we double it? Three times is the law of Jesus. Uh, six times, plus one, plus one. He turns to the brothers. <laughs> See how I'm doing this? We're going to go double plus one. How about if I forgive them seven times? Because that's like abundant. That's a crazy a lot. And Jesus says, uh, how about 70 times? Or in some of your translations, 7 times 70, depending on, on where they put the commas and stuff, right? 70, 70, 70, 70 times! Basically what Jesus is saying, forgive them a ridiculous amount. seem right then Peter came to Jesus and asked Lord how how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times Jesus answered I tell you not seven times but 77 times 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Jesus goes into the story, right? The king, talk about the kingdom of heaven, the, the, the kingdom of, of God. The kingdom of heaven is his, the, the reign of God. Like when God is in charge of your life. When, when you are submissive to God. When Jesus is your Lord. When he reigns in you. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So the, the, the king, Jesus is telling the story about this king who has this debtor, this servant who owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Or in some of your translations, 10,000 talents. How much is that? So a servant who probably doesn't make any money hardly at all owes 10,000 talents. So uh, historians of the day talk about in Jesus' day that the whole Roman Empire's national debt was probably about 8,000 talents. <laughs> just, just think in terms of the United States national debt, which changes as we speak, which will change gargantuanly. Next, okay, I'm not going to get into that. Right? It's national debt. Like this gentleman, this individual has a debt that he owes the king equivalent to the national debt of his day. You, you know what the disciples are thinking? <laughs> That's impossible. He'll never be able to pay that back. He never will be able to earn enough to pay back the national debt. He's toast. And so it goes on. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Okay, again, in history, in Jesus' day, a really, really good slave... A really, really, really good servant amounted to one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. They sell his wife and his kids. That's like six talents at best. There's no possible way for this man to get out of debt. None. None. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. Like, for eternity? Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Can you imagine? Can we, some, of, some of you who live with lots of financial debt... Or lots of sin debt in your life. Can you imagine hearing the words, your debt is forgiven? You, you are set free. You, you are t- like, oh, 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 these, oh my word, you guys, you would believe what the king did. He set me free. He canceled all my debt. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm free. I'm free. I'm f- You would think. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Are you kidding me? You were just forgiven about $150 billion. 
or more. And you're choking the guy for 16 bucks? What in heaven's name are you thinking? Like when we read that, we, we think, that's an awful man. That's a man who doesn't understand what he's just been given. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. A direct quote from what he had just said. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and justifiably so, I would say. They were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. The wicked servant, he said, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Should you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, if I was going to have you stand... This is where I'd invite you to stand in honor of God and his word. Just listen to, okay, go ahead. Let's, let's just do that. A couple of you stood. I'm going to read this last verse. This makes me tremble inside. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let's pray. God, this is so hard. At least on the surface, it seems that way. Please help us. God, some of us hold a deep hurt and unforgiveness. That doesn't let us live free. Help us to be forgiving. As you have forgiven us. Amen. You can be seated. The purpose of all of this is to win them over, not wreck them or wound them back. The purpose of all of this is that our broken one another can be put back together so that the Father, so that the Heavenly Father can look with pleasure on His people. So I I would just like to walk us through a couple points. The, The first one is this, one anothering well is the heart of your Father. One anothering well is the heart of your Father. It really matters to God. It seems like all through Scripture that it really, really matters to God that we get along with each other. Not just in this church, but in this church and the church down the hall. 
in the mall. Or further down the hall in the mall. Not just this church, but the church downtown, the church south of town, the church uptown, the church across the river, the church uh, west, the church around the globe. That doesn't mean we have to like all worship together. That's, That's not the point. The point is that when there's a wound between us and them, or in the family, when there's a wound between you and someone else, God, like, it, it seems so very, matter of fact, so important to him. He says this in Matthew. He says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, if they have something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, and go be reconciled to them. Then come and give your gift. Like, it seems so important to God that he's saying, before you give your offering, before you give your sacrifices, before you do anything, if you have unforgiveness in your heart or someone has unforgiveness towards you, fix it first. Because this vertical love relationship that Pastor Patrick talked about last week, and this horizontal love relationship, this this community of Christians gathered together, our our relational one-anotherness, and, and our love for the Father, the first love kind of Father. This is all affected by the brokenness. But when he divorced me, do you know what he did? I don't know. But I don't know that that's the point. Because it's a kingdom issue. That when the reign of God is in us, we lean into that more than we lean into the hurt and pain. My prayer is this, it says in the Gospel of John, this is Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that this would be us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Forgiveness. This is the definition that uh, I, I love to use about forgiveness. And some of you have heard it before. Forgiveness is, I will live with the consequences of your sin. Does that make sense? I will live with the consequences of your sin and not seek vengeance or retribution, but rather your blessing. I, 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 will, I will live with the consequences of your sin. I will. This hammer I've been carrying around, that I want to smack you with when I get a chance, in my heart or in my mind or figuratively, where I want you to hurt because what you did. Or I want you to pay in some way because of what you did. I'll I'll, I'll lay it down. Jesus went one step further. I'll I'll let them use it against me. Because that's what we do, right? We carry around this hurt and this bitterness, this anger, this unforgiveness. and, And we carry it around in hopes that someday we can catch them. Or remind them. Or in some way that someone, and, and, and it's maybe not, not just one thing, maybe, maybe we have a bunch of things that we're carrying around. Maybe, maybe we have a, a bitterness that's growing more and more dangerous all the time because we have all of this hurt and all this anger, all this frustration, all this unforgiveness in us, and we think that this won't bother our other relationships. And we think that when we reach up to the Heavenly Father, 
with all of this hurt and pain and unforgiveness in us that we're hanging on to in hopes that we can exercise vengeance or retribution. That somehow this will all be ignored. And it isn't. In fact, it's hard to love with hammers in your hand. The second point is, one anothering well affects your heart. Be forgiving. I'm not ready to let go yet. Anne Lamont, who's a beautiful poet, says this, I went around saying for a long time that I'm not one of those Christians who is heavily into forgiveness. Let me just say that again. She said she went around for a long time saying that she's not one of those Christians who is heavily into forgiveness. That I'm not one of, that I am one of the other kind. But even though it was funny and actually true, it started to be too painful to say this way. In fact, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. And that's what we do. We, we carry around this bitterness and this anger and this hurt in hopes that, that someone will somehow pay for what they've done and we can't love well. We can't receive love well. We can't function in any of our relationships at the full capacity until we... Lay it down. In Galatians, it says, For freedom that Christ has set us free, stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. To be unforgiving is to be a slave to unforgiveness. I get it. I, I, I do, I think. Some of us have such huge things. Here's the final point. When your one another is broke, choose a beautiful return by forgiving. Let me just walk us through real gently these pieces. Start by looking at you. Don't look at them. Romans 12, 3, For by grace given me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Some of us so underestimate our own sin that we look at other people's sin, we think about how awful they are. And we forget that we've been forgiven for 150 billion sins. Tim Keller says this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Letter B. Focus on what has been done for you, not to you. If you want a forgiving spirit, focus on the forgiveness you have received, not on the hurt that was given. Focus on the fact that he invites you 
to receive through mercy. Mercy is this thing that God does for us that we don't deserve. Or when we des- it, mercy is when you deserve something and God doesn't give it to you. When you deserve damnation and he doesn't give you it. That's mercy. Focus on what was done for you. See, when I look at that, I, uh, and I hear people, they don't deserve forgiveness at all. And I, yeah, I get that. But either do I. I am a part of the Undeserving Disciples Club. I haven't earned forgiveness at all. And the people we forgive, they probably haven't either. Mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Letter C, go to ridiculous extremes with your forgiveness. Like 70 times 7 times. Go to ridiculous extremes. As reading another pastor described forgiveness like breathing. When you've breathed in unforgiveness, you can't take in forgiveness until you exhale the unforgiveness. When you breathe in unforgiveness, you can't take in the forgiveness of Christ until you exhale the unforgiveness. Choose mercy over judgment. Jesus says, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as he had on you? And I've already described this. Mercy is when God chooses to not give you what you deserve. Finally, letter E. Live with an as God has forgiven you heart. Let me give you a picture. The person that's hurt you that you're holding unforgiveness for, it says several times in the Bible, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Or what if God says, like in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgive those of my sins in the same way I forgive others. So imagine this. That uncle or that aunt. That pastor or that teacher. That in-law or that neighbor or that brother or sister. Jesus displays them before you. And says, in the same way you've forgiven them, I will grant you forgiveness. What? I didn't know how to write this last part. It, it, it says, live within as God has forgiven you heart or, and then I left it blank because I don't know what to write there. Because listen to Jesus' words. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should 
pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I don't know what to... I don't know what to write after that if you choose not to have a forgiving heart. I guess I'm going to leave that up to you. How would you describe what Jesus is saying there? Like some of us are walking around with all kinds of stuff. And I get it, it's not easy. And I know all your counselors will say all kinds of different things. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Say, Father, with whatever strength you give me now, I would choose to forgive. They don't deserve it. I'm not saying I'll trust them again. I'm not saying it was okay. I'm not saying they had a good excuse. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not even saying it wasn't evil what they did. But I don't want to live as a slave to my own forgiveness. I want to be set free.